Thank you for joining us for a message from the Christian Fellowship Church of Kandu, North Dakota. Please visit our website for more information about our church at kanducfc.com. God together. This is the day that you have made. Whatever. So far in our Easter series that we've called Uncompromising, we've studied what it means to be obedient to Jesus and to live unashamed and unafraid as Christians. We've heard some amazing stories about people who have done these things, right? Now, you may have noticed as we've gone through these last couple of weeks that the, the character that we're trying to strive for, that God has modeled for us through his son Jesus, these are not easy things to do. But God gives us incredible strength to live for him as he teaches us to live. And we've heard the stories of people who face this intense persecution for their faith, yet they remain uncompromising in how they lived for Jesus. And it's been inspirational. It's been amazing to see people 
continue to strive for Christ when the odds were stacked against them. And today we're going to talk, like I said, about being uncompromising when it comes to how we show love and how we offer forgiveness in extremely difficult situations. In Acts chapter 6 and 7, we're introduced to a man named Stephen. He's described as a man full of God's grace and power. He performed miracles and signs among the people of Jerusalem. When a group of men began to question and argue with Stephen, trying to prove that he was wrong about Jesus being the Messiah, none of them were a match for the wisdom from the Holy Spirit that Stephen operated with. So Stephen's opponents resorted to lying about him and accusing him of things he had never done and never said. These false accusations got Stephen in hot water with the Jewish high council. He's brought before the high council to answer for these false charges against him. And Stephen uses this opportunity and shares a lengthy argument which gives evidence that Jesus truly is the Messiah that the Jewish people have been waiting for. Stephen's argument did not sit well, though, with this high council. They were infuriated, and they dragged Stephen out of the city and began to throw stones at him in order to kill him. And in Acts 7, verse 59 and 60, it says, As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. What an incredible story, right? Stephen is is lied about and he is put to death unfairly. Yet while all this injustice is done against him, he doesn't get bitter or angry or curse these people. He shares Jesus with those who held his life in their hands. And then he is, as he's being murdered, he lovingly asks Jesus to forgive the people who are killing him. Stephen teaches us that we can be uncompromising in our Christian character by responding with godliness to our enemies and the evil things that they may do against us. So where did Stephen learn to live like this in such a radical and uncompromising way? It's obvious. He learned this from Jesus. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus is teaching... uh, He's teaching about a number of topics, and one of them that he gets into has to do with love and forgiveness. And he starts at verse 27 by saying, But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. And pray for those who mistreat you. Most of the time, if we're really honest with ourselves, our natural reaction to people who hurt us, offend us, hate us, or work against us in some way is to give them a taste of their own medicine, right? That's the flesh. The problem is, as soon as we respond to people in that way, we aren't living by the character of God. We're living according to this sinful nature that still resides within us that we are trying to put away and embrace the spirit nature that God gives us. God's character in us tells us, just like Jesus says in this passage, to love, to do good, to bless people, and to pray for them. Our sin nature tells us to get revenge, to end relationship, to ignore people who we don't like or get along with, and to make them feel the pain that they have made us feel. Jesus is teaching us a better way, a way in which the Holy Spirit prompts us to live. In this life, people are going to come against us and hurt us and speak lies against us. Sometimes it may even be because we are followers of Christ. 
Some, continuing in Luke 6, Jesus gives a little bit more detail about how we should respond when these kinds of situations come up. Verse 29 says, If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. To me, when I read this passage, and I, I kind of sit down and let it soak in as I did this week, it feels like Jesus is saying to us, be so shockingly kind and loving and generous and forgiving in your responses to evil people that they will clearly see me or Jesus when they look at you. After all, our goal as Christians is to live in fellowship with the Lord, following his example, right? So that people will see God's love for them through the way that we live our lives. For 17 years, Martin and Gracia Burnham served with New Tribe's mission in the Philippines, where Martin was a jungle pilot delivering mail, supplies, and encouragement to other missionaries, as well as transporting sick and injured patients to medical facilities. His wife, Gracia, served in various roles supporting the aviation program and also homeschooling their three children who were all born in the Philippines. On May 27, 2001, while they were celebrating their 18th wedding anniversary at a Philippine island resort, the Burnhams were taken captive by Muslim extremists who called themselves the Abu Sayyaf group. In addition to the Burnhams, several other Resort guests were kidnapped and transported back to Abu Sayyaf's island stronghold about 300 miles away. For months, the captors forced Martin and the other hostages to carry bags of rice through the rain and the steaming hot jungle. The months of being in captivity and constantly being on the move uh, caused Martin's boots to wear down significantly, significantly so that he slipped often. But he never complained. He picked himself up and he kept walking, even offering to help others along the way. Though it would have been normal for most people, Martin and Gracia refused to give in to despair. They spent their time in prayer, thanking the Lord for this opportunity to minister to other hostages and to suffer for Christ's sake. They led the group in singing inspirational songs and Martin even tried to share the gospel with the members of Abu Sayyaf. Martin risked his life for the mission of Christ. Six months after being captured in November, 20, or in November 2001, only the Burnhams and one other hostage remained in captivity. The, the rest had either been killed or released. The Burnhams' extremely difficult time as hostages only continued. The Philippine army continued to put pressure on Abu Sayyaf, trying to track them down. So Abu Sayyaf and their hostages were constantly on the move, darting all over their island. On the afternoon of June 7th, 2002, over a year since their abduction, the Philippine military attempted a rescue. Tragically, Martin was killed during the gunfight. The other hostage with the Burnhams, a Filipino nurse named Edebora, also lost her, her life. Wounded but alive, Gracia was rescued, reunited with her three children, and returned home to the United States. Martin Burnham lived his life unafraid of dying. During his time in captivity, he strengthened and encouraged the hostages, praying with and for them. Martin was thankful 
in all circumstances. While all the other hostages prayed to be released, the Burnhams were also sending prayers of thanksgiving. Martin Burnham was an example of generosity, love, and faith. He generously lived his life to share the gospel at all costs. Gracia has carried on their ministry by writing books and today is still speaking to thousands. She and her family have committed to pray for the members of Abu Sayyaf to come to know Christ personally. To me, the Burnhams are a modern day example of what it means to love our enemies, to do good to them, to pray for them and even bless them. We may never find ourselves, and it's likely that we won't find ourselves in a situation that is anything close to what the Burnhams went through. But if they were able to be uncompromising in such extreme circumstances, it gives me hope that we too can do the same in much less difficult circumstances. This passage that we've been referring to in Luke 6, it continues in verse 32 saying, If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. If you lend to those who, from, the, from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be the children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Jesus is teaching us here that, that there should be a clear differentiation between the way that we love Versus the way that non-Christians or the rest of this world loves. Our love should be fuller, deeper, without conditions and uncompromising. When it comes to loving, praying, doing good and offering a blessing to those who we'd consider our enemies. I've heard some Christians at times in my life say things like, well, don't be naive. Okay, there's a limit. Don't be a doormat. Don't let people just walk all over you time and time again. But if we say that the goodness we're willing to offer has a limit, it seems that we're saying that there's a point where we are willing to compromise on what Jesus is teaching us to do. In this Luke 6 passage, it really feels like Jesus is saying no matter what, in every circumstance, no matter how hard it gets, just keep going. Be uncompromising in how we generously love and forgive those who hate you and want to do harm to you. If we do that, that's what differentiates us from the kind of love that this world is known for. In this world, you see conditional love. I'll love you as long as fill in the condition, right? But Jesus is saying, no, like it's, it's not just for people who love you back. It's for people who actually hate you. That's the love that Christ came to give. And that's the love that he's asking us to show as well. At the end of this passage, Jesus tells us what happens to us when we uncompromisingly continue to love, to do good, and to forgive those who hate us. He says that there will be a great reward, and we will be children of the Most High. Have you ever thought about the reward that God gives to us in times when we encounter people who are coming against us in an evil way? Have you ever stopped to ponder like, okay, if I hang in there, if I just keep going, I can look forward to this. 
Very rarely do we have those moments of clarity when things are really tough, where we say, okay, deep breath. If I hang in there, this is what I can expect. But God talks about reward all over the Bible because I think he actually wants to continue to motivate us to not give up, but to understand that if we continue on living the life that he's called us to, there's something great and bountiful that we can experience. If we're uncompromising and seek to respond as Jesus is teaching us to respond today, our great reward isn't that that we don't have to endure the difficulty, but rather that Jesus meets us right there in the middle of it. When we're going through these incredibly tough times and evil things are coming against us, when we're paying the price or counting the cost because of our faith and following Jesus, in those moments where most people would be freaking out, right? That's when Jesus gives us peace. That's when we experience this supernatural degree of contentment or this satisfaction in Jesus. That's where we all of a sudden are gifted with this eternal perspective and our eyes are set on heaven and eternal things rather than being overwhelmed by all the things that are right under our nose. Jesus helps us to understand that the persecution we are facing right now in this moment does not define us. It doesn't define if we get joy or not, but it's actually Jesus' presence that defines everything we get to experience. Our faith in Jesus and his provision for us is greater than anything that evil could ever do to us. Remember, Jesus died on the cross and that was a victory, right? He won. He defeated sin and death and hell and Satan and our enemies. So we don't actually live trying to gain victory over these things now. We live in victory. We live already having the the victory won. So that's what we need to continue to focus on. And now because of the victory, Christ fills our lives with the things that we need when life is the toughest. That is our great reward. I thought about this great reward that Jesus gives us in, in the midst of difficulty. And even though I wouldn't say that I enjoy difficult tests all the time, I'm learning more and more to be thankful when my love for all people is greatly tested. We, de- we all deal with difficult people. From time to time, right? And I'm thankful for these moments. And I say that because in these moments, that's when Jesus is calling me to be like him. That's when he says, okay, Jeff, we're moving forward today. I hope you respond well because I have a great reward for you if you do. He's asking me yet again in difficult times to lean on him and to be uncompromising and following his example. Because I said, Jesus, I give my life to you. I believe in you. I want to be your follower. He says, okay, here's what it's going to take today. And as I try to do this, Jesus consistently rewards me with his presence. And I feel his peace when it feels like I shouldn't be experiencing peace. I feel like contentment to to rest in his will and, and to continue to strive for what he has. I feel satisfied as he helps me to do what is right and is actually glorifying to him. He shifts my eyes off of what's going on in the physical world all around me. And he helps me to see the eternal purposes behind loving someone who may be difficult to love. And another part of the reward here from this passage is that we will be children of the Most High. 
So what an awesome privilege it is. Children of the Most High means that we get to be children in God's family. Now, of course, being in Jesus and receiving salvation through trusting in Jesus, that already has welcomed us into God's family as his children. But here's the interesting thing. So Jesus in this Luke 6 passage, he's giving us a whole bunch of things that we are meant to do, ways in which we're meant to respond as he would respond to the same sort of situation if he was in it. Because when we do that, when we follow Jesus' teaching here, when we love our enemies, do good to those who hate us, bless those who curse us, and pray for those who persecute us, that's when we act like children of the Most High, confirming yet again that, yes, we indeed are the children of our Heavenly Father. Nothing gives me more joy than when I see the character of Jesus at work in my life, even though that's not my natural tendency. It's a fight, right? And I see it in you as well. I see this church responding to difficult situations with godly character, and I think it's awesome. I just want you to know that. In Luke 23, verse 34, while Jesus is hanging on the cross, suffering in agony because of what sinful and wicked people had done to him, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Jesus could have had a variety of responses clearly in this moment, right? But what caused Jesus to say this? One thing specifically. Why did he call for forgiveness instead of a curse or a punishment or a judgment on the people who in sinful rebellion against him put him to death? More than anything, I think that by saying this phrase, forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. I think that Jesus is showing that he understands the foolish ignorance that comes over us as we sin. You know, if you and I, if we can look at each other from time to time and shake our heads or scratch our heads saying, I have no idea what they are doing right now, right? People I'm sure have thought that about me and I know I've thought that about you and we're all in this together, right? So if we can do that and if we can say, hmm, I'm just not sure if I get what they're doing, surely God in his infinite wisdom knows that we don't always know what we're doing either. But instead of being quick to punish us, Oh, you sinned, you sinned. And now, you know, he levels judgment against us quickly. That's not God's character. Psalm 103 verse 8 actually shows the character of God. It says the Lord is compassionate and gracious. He's slow to anger and abounding in love. So these character traits of God remain true even as Jesus is hung on the cross. His own death wasn't enough to make him compromise on his godly character. In maintaining his love for people, even during the most difficult time in his life, Jesus shows us the tremendous value that he places on the souls of people. He doesn't want to curse anyone, but he wants everyone to receive his forgiveness and be saved from their sins. So that's where Stephen learns this from, because Jesus is the one who modeled it. Don't hold this against them. They have no idea what they're doing. But rather, I want to forgive them because I love them and I don't want to be eternally separated from them. In Romania in the 1940s, Pastor Richard Wormbrandt stood listening to a Nazi soldier boast about his accomplishments. In the concentration camp where I worked, I killed many Jews, even Jews with children in their arms, the soldier bragged. 
This soldier had just come back from fighting for the Nazis and was proud of his achievements. He was glad to tell anyone who would listen to him. Having heard the good German name Wormbrandt, the soldier must have had no idea that the pastor he spoke to was a Jew. In response to hearing the man's barbarity and murdering, most Christians would have been at a loss for words, but not Pastor Wormbrandt. He promptly and affectionately invited the man to his home for dinner. The man loved music, and when Pastor Wormbrandt told him that he would play the piano for him, he said he would be glad to come. When the man arrived, there were some other believers present, but Wormbrandt's wife, Sabina, was feeling ill, so she stayed in her room and rested. Pastor Wormbrandt played the piano for them all, and they had a wonderful evening together enjoying the music. After they had all had a long discussion into the night, further enjoying one's company, they continued with their evening. When it had grown quite late, Pastor Wormbrandt turned to the soldier and said, Sir, I have something to tell you. You must promise that you will listen to me for 10 minutes quietly, and after 10 minutes, you can say whatever you like. The man was smiling broadly from ear to ear from everything that he enjoyed that evening and quite warmly said, All right, all right, you can speak to me even more than 10 minutes. I promise that I won't interrupt you. You can say whatever you like. In the other room, the pastor began, my wife is sleeping. She is Jewish. And I am Jewish too. My family, or her family, which is also my family, perished in the big Nazi concentration camp where you boasted that you killed Jews with children still in their arms. So you, presumably, are the very murderer of my family. Now I propose an experiment. We will pass into the other room, and I will tell my wife who you are. I can assure you that my wife will not speak one word of reproach to you, nor will she look at you angrily, but she will smile at you as she does to every honored guest in our home. She will go and prepare coffee and cookies for you. You will be received like everyone else. Now, if my wife, who is only human, can do this, if she can love you like this, knowing what you have done and can forgive you, then how much more will Jesus, who is love? The man began to tear at his jacket. What have I done? What have I done? I am guilty of so much blood. The pastor said, well then, let us kneel down and ask for forgiveness from God. They knelt First, Pastor Wormbrandt said a short prayer. Then the man, who did not know how to pray, said again and again, Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, forgive me. I believe that you forgive me. There were many tears, and then he and the pastor embraced. I have promised you an experiment. Now we will go see my wife. Sabina had heard nothing while sleeping in the other room, far away in the house from the main room, where they had been speaking. They went to her, and Pastor Wormbrandt woke her. Do you know this man? No, she said sleepily. So he introduced the man. This is the murderer of your sisters, your brothers, and your parents. But now he has repented, and he is our brother in the Messiah, our brother in faith. What do you have to say to him? Sabina fell around the soldier's neck 
And they both wept together. In Luke 19 verse 10, Jesus said that he came to seek and save the lost. If we think about it, the lost identify themselves to us through the way they live, through their evil, sinful actions. That's how we identified ourselves to Christ as needing him as well. Sometimes those evil actions are even done against us and the people that we love. So the question is, how will we respond? Jesus loved them and he ministered to them. Richard and Sabina Wormbrandt, Martin and Gracia Bonham loved them and ministered to them. If we are going to be uncompromising in our Christian character, we need to love, forgive, bless, do good, and pray for those who identify themselves to us as lost and needing Jesus. The subtlety of living the Christian life is that people aren't going to wear name tags that say, I'm lost, or I'm a Christian. Our character speaks about what's going on in our heart, right? So when we encounter people who clearly need Christ, we have to understand that Christ has put us here to represent him so that other people will get to know him through us. Communion Sunday today is it's the first Sunday of the month. So if you want to break the seal on your communion supplies, that would be a good idea. I think the, the connection between what we've talked about this morning and remembering Christ's sacrifice is, is very easy to make. We see what Christ has done for us. We see the sacrifice that he made, giving his life with love and forgiveness, doing something that was good, being a blessing to us by sacrificing his life for those of us who were sinners, who worked against God, who were stricken with evil thoughts, desires, and actions. Yet Christ was uncompromising in his love. I just, I I admire so much the character with which Christ worked. And I love that we actually are called to the same thing. So as we remember Christ's sacrifice today, I think it's actually appropriate to remember that this is the sacrifice with which he has called us to live as well. I, I think it's good that we appreciate what he's done but to also appreciate that he has called us to be a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God in the way that we live, serve, and love as his representatives here on this earth. So in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul is recounting the Last Supper. We use this passage often, but it's just so perfect, right? After supper, Jesus took a loaf of bread, and when he had broken it, he gave thanks, and he passed it out to his disciples saying, This represents my body. This represents the loving sacrifice that I'm willing to give because my love for you is never going to end. So when you eat bread together like this, I want you to remember that I lived my life with love. That was the essence of what Jesus was communicating to his disciples that night. So let's remember Christ's loving sacrifice together.
In the same way, after supper, he took a cup, saying that this cup is symbolic. It symbolizes the covenant that I'm making with you. The covenant is this, I'm going to forgive you. Because my love for you is uncompromising, my forgiveness follows suit. Jesus, in his forgiveness, by shedding his blood, he does not hold against us the things that we sometimes have been guilty of holding against other people. He was uncompromising, forgiving us completely, eternally, so that eternal life could be ours, relationship could be restored, and that we could live with the hope of being in heaven one day. So let's remember today the forgiveness that is uncompromising from our Savior.